Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. The story that I have on today with the woman is nothing short of a miracle and inspiration to the 10th degree. My guest is Mia O'Day, and she has written a book called Mia's Odyssey, Taking Back My Soul. You haven't read such a compelling book of survival from probably the worst domestic violence situation you've ever heard of. That includes her children, but how she escaped and the life she is living now um, through all sorts of wonderful people who helped her get out of that disastrous situation. And to hear this woman's story is absolutely it will compel you to think about doing all you can to help anyone that's in a situation this way and to also uh, take something from her bravery and courage to find it within yourself as well. Such an incredible story all coming up. Also, digital dissection in the science class, why PETA is doing all they can to stop that archaic use of animals in uh, in the science classes of yesteryear that they're still using. All right. So this is all coming up and grateful to Balance of Nature for sponsoring The Way Home. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule come in a variety of 32 different fruits and vegetables, all completely perfect and just the way they were intended. Nothing added, nothing taken away except the water, which makes them uh, perfectly whole so that when they pulverize them, you get 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day when you take it. It's a remarkable process, a remarkable product, one I'm so very grateful to be on every day. You can get yours by going to balanceofnature.com. It's that easy. And make sure you use my name, Laura, put it in the promo code, and that way you're going to get 35% off your first preferred order and free shipping, balanceofnature.com. When we come back, Mia O'Day and her incredible book, Mia's Odyssey. Don't go away. It's the way home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. October is a month of thinking about a lot of different things, uh, not only just in a in an American way, it's it's when we get into fall, but it's also a time where uh, people focus on the topic of breast cancer, for example. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but it's also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And that is a topic that is really, truly always touched my soul very deeply. I have been interested in it in a sense that if there is just anything I could possibly do to learn more about it and make a difference about it, I would like to. And I came across a book very recently that was so compelling and its author. So uh, I, I try to find the words to describe her. I, I almost would say a hero in my mind or everything that she has been through and has written about and has come through to the other side. It is a story that is heart wrenching, gut wrenching, and yet ever so um, dynamic in that um, what, this woman has gone through. Her name is Mia O'Day, and her new book is Mia's Odyssey, Taking Back My Soul. It's a memoir, and I sat down to read just notes about it so that I could be aware for the program today, you know, different highlights of the book and what it was about. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I could not put it down. I ended up reading every single page and I am still, I'm almost reeling from the, the feelings that I have from reading this book. It is 
the some of the most frightening depiction of domestic violence that you would ever encounter and yet triumph thank goodness that's why you have to read it all the way to the end because the triumph does come mia thank you so much for joining me on the way home today you're welcome and thank you for having me on the show it is my pleasure i for for people who um are going to be able to see. I know you're going to be speaking in different parts of the country and talking about the book. It's so important of a topic. And one, I just can't believe that, that we are still having to grapple with, but you came from a different world, a different life, a different country, and you were uh, a child bride. Um, and from the moment you were arranged and married off and arranged by your parents to marry this person that um, honestly, it's almost easier to call him a monster. Um, Your life was never the same. And the story of your survival is is a miracle and how you got out and everything you've accomplished since then. So would you mind telling my audience just a little bit or a lot about (laughs) your story? Oh, my goodness. Um. So I was born in Palestine. Uh, I come from a big family. Uh, My marriage was arranged when I was 15 years old to a man that's twice as my age. Uh, After that, we got married. We came to the United States, to Arizona. And uh, after I got pregnant with my first child, we went back home uh, to Qatar. It's actually not really my home. It's a different country. And then the abuse, it seems like it became more than just verbal and sexual, uh, which is I kind of later figured out that if he abuses me physically in America and it shows, I guess he would get in trouble. And I did not know that before. But when we went back overseas, the abuse was in every way, verbally, mentally, sexually and emotionally. And then as the kids grew up, it kind of started to reached to them and they witnessed everything that was going on uh, with me and with their father. And they grew up, uh, the oldest one was 10 years old and he witnessed pretty much everything that was going on. Right. So you have six children, correct? Yes. And six children. And um, you had them one after another, starting at age 17, I believe. Was it 17? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You were in the United States uh, at that point and and it just for people to even remotely understand what you had to endure with this person who was, I mean, I can't even, I, how do people like that even exist in the world that could be so abusive, so horrifically cruel and, and how do they function in society? How did he have a job? It's, it's, it's unreal to me because the way he treated you was worse than any animal. It was, it was as, as an object of pure hatred and the violence that you lived through and tried to yet still be there for your children. And indeed they, I think they were your saving grace. It was the only thing that kept you alive and kept you going. Yes, they were, they they mean everything to me. They did always motivate me to get up and no matter what I go through every day, it's just to start all over again and, do the best I can for them to get to the next day. And uh, speaking of abuse, where I come from, I feel like, or I came up with that word, I don't know if it's justified. It's like abusing your woman. It seems like it's legal. 
you could get abused, you could have bruises on your body, on your face and, and wounds, and nobody would come to your rescue. All they have to say is, that is your husband, what can you do? And that was said to me before, that is your husband and whatever he does, you should be okay with that. And it seems like it's the woman who always get blamed, like if she gets abused, well, maybe you were just not obedient enough to your man. And so I just started thinking, it's like, it's really legal to be abused over there. And it is not okay. I know I have sisters back home that are going through the same thing and nobody ever really comes to the rescue. They're basically what you were told is that you are your husband's property now. You weren't told that you were his wife. It was you were his property. And so you, you were basically a slave to him. Yeah. He admitted to me, he told me, I didn't marry you for love. And he was straightforward. He says, I don't love you. I just wanted someone to be here to give him pleasure, give him kids, which is I'm not sure why he wanted kids because he never really checked on his kids. But I feel like it helps him control you. Like if you have his kids, it's harder for you to really leave, which is it is really true because you're you're nervous. You're controlled from the beginning. You never really worked. And if you leave most likely he's going to win and take over the kids and the woman is really not going to be able to do much. So it's all part of really their control. And indeed. So in, in regards to your family, you, you were able to go home soon after you were first married as a teenager and you got to spend three months there. And yet you had to go back the horror of going back to the United States with him and being completely cut off from everything. You didn't speak English the no. the home where you went like he he just completely he treated you like a locked animal and 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 you you had to endure this so your family is all still there but you have no contact with most of them correct because they didn't accept you once they found out we're going to tell the audience how you eventually got out of how many years of slavery is the word that comes to me were you subjected to with this man uh, we got married in October 1993, and I left him in 2006, in January. Okay, so that's 13 years? Was it- yes, yeah, something I'm, I'm, like my, that, yeah. That's a lot like of that. years. Yes, a lot of years, and um, with I don't even know how you physically endured having five kids all the time with with never any help, and you you had to work for him, and you were continually raped and abused and physically beaten by him on a daily basis and how you continue to be able to raise kids and get up the next day and do it all over again, knowing the beatings were coming, knowing the rapes were coming. And yet you kept doing how you survived. That is quite a miracle in one sense. That could be the one saving grace that you were so young that you somehow had the strength to, to go on. And again, with the love of your children. So after 13 years of that abuse, he was finally what, I think it from what I could tell in the book, one of the things that helped save you was the fact that he moved you moved back here to the United States after you had been living in Qatar for a while. Absolutely. And, right. And here, because there are rules against that, uh, they your neighbors heard him screaming at you verbally every night and they finally called the police on you. And you were you literally had to escape uh, with in the snow your children with no shoes on their feet um, to get away from him. And he actually even followed you and found you in the hotel where you escaped to. And 
thankfully the man at the front desk had the the good smarts to tell him that you weren't there or something. I don't know. But you escaped that situation as well and drove to a police station with all your children. Had you not been in the United States, do you think that you would have been able to survive this marriage? I know throughout the times before we came back to the United States, um, I thought of my life living with him and think came to my mind. It's like, what if that man lives for another 30, 40, 50 years and I have no way out and I'm stuck with him? Now, when over there, I reached out for my family. I couldn't really get any help from them, no support. No neighbors will tell me, well, we heard you screaming and crying. And then they know that it's because of him and they say he's your husband. So I felt like if I keep living like that, it's just really hard. So things kind of really got really tight in my chest and I tried to commit a suicide. It was just like one way out of a relationship with him, knowing that nobody was supporting me. And I felt like that was the only way to really uh leave him uh but if we didn't come to back to the united states i would still probably be with him or probably be dead because it's just there's no way out my guest today is mia o'day she has written a most compelling book that i could not put down and i am still trying to come off of it with with my breath uh, left in me after reading it it's called mia's odyssey taking back my soul and Mia is a woman of such great courage and resilience and such an incredible story of survival with her children. So after trying to commit suicide and then subsequently moving back to the United States then and your neighbors called the police on your husband because they kept hearing him scream through the windows and, and so forth, you did finally escape, almost got caught by him again when he followed you the, to the hotel, but then Again, you escaped and drove your children to the police station yet again. Tell us what happened from there, because this is where the the light starts to shine in a little bit and you start to be able to breathe again. Um, Who who was it that uh, first really helped you? Well, the first person really that opened my eyes to that I don't really have to accept uh, the abuse from him uh, is that one night when the police showed up on my door and uh, one of the officers told me, we're not telling you what to do, but, you know, there is other ways to live here and uh, you don't have to accept whatever he's doing to you. And uh, and I told him, but he had told me if I leave, the state is going to take my kids and they're going to get rid of them. They're going to make off of them money and you're never going to see your kids. And he told me, well, we don't really do that. He is just only trying to scare you. Uh, you can reach out for help. There's organizations, there's shelters, and uh, there's a lot of other people that are really able to help you to take the first step for your freedom, but you don't have to accept. We don't, Here in America, women don't have to accept the abuse it's he's telling you a completely different story than what you really need to learn. We're not telling you what to do, but that's what really it's up to you at the end. And uh, from there, I learned that I really can get away with it and I could really find support. And from that night, I took the kids and I left. Uh, we went to a motel. It was just very close toward the house because I didn't really know anything around here. Followed me to the hotel then I left. He told me to go back home. I told him, okay, and which is I really did not really. I wasn't going home. I was just giving myself some time. 
and went to the police station and I explained to them what's going on. And uh, they came with me and moved me to a different hotel. And then they, the following day, they sent me to the shelter. In the shelter, I learned things that I never heard before. I've never been in shelter before uh, where I come from, never heard of them. I learned how to apply for jobs, applications. Uh, they get set me up with a bridge card, uh, health insurance for the kids and housing. And they started the divorce process and they kept everything, you know, private for my security and for the kids. And from there, like a lot of churches got involved, you know, I reach out for, you know, food banks and clothing and school system helped me out a lot to keep my kids in the same school, uh, clothing banks and a lot of other organizations really stepped in and were there really for me to get me back on my feet and other families and communities. Uh, they helped me with housing and cars and to get on my feet really well. And they did an amazing job. Uh, it's things that I never imagined that I really would ever learn or come across or really see. Right. Now, the kids went back to their, their school. Were you um, somewhat afraid that that your husband would come and find them or take them away or find you and, and try to hurt you or kill you even? How, how were you able to get through that safely and securely, or was it just everyday prayers? Well, definitely it was really scary uh, when you drop off the kids, but I took the the papers from the court and I showed them that, that he is not allowed to be around the kids without supervised visitation. At first, he was not allowed until he gets like uh, help, therapy, and uh, he gets to see them only if there is someone there. But yeah, it's really scary to drop them off and leave what if they're playing outside and nobody's paying attention, for example, and he comes and takes one of them. All it takes is really one and for me to kind of twist my arm and go back. So that was definitely a fear. Mm-hmm. And so this particular, I know you had a mentor, someone that you were able to turn to also. So while you're doing this and you're living in the shelter, you end up getting your first job. Um, it was waitressing, right? Yes. Was that one? Of, yes. And how how was that for you? You had never been able to even be out of the house except to go grocery shopping or to drop the children off at school. What was it like to try to be in public and learn new skills and all the while, you know, trying to make enough money, you know, to keep your children alive? So what was that like for you? It was different. It was really scary. Uh, Not to mention my self-esteem was really kind of not much at all. And uh, to be around people, to be able to talk with confidence and not to be worried. And am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Uh, it was definitely intimidating and it was very scary on the first job. And I remember my first day I earned $25 and I thought, wow, that's a lot. But I never really got the idea of how much really it takes to really live here. Absolutely. And it takes a lot. And so uh, here you are then. Um How was it that you eventually got out of the shelter? Your husband then subsequently left the country and married someone else. Is that correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. he did. And he had one kid with her. Okay. I mean, that it must have been a big relief for you, but you must have been feeling really bad for that new woman who became a probably another victim of his. Yeah, for sure. And she will not be able to really reach the opportunity that I really reached here for the woman to find her voice. 
Right. And it's uh, for uh, most of us here, we can't even imagine you were the youngest of 13 children in Palestine. And again, where you were raised that you were only born for one thing, and that was to serve the men in the household, your brothers, your father, and then subsequently your husband as a child bride. You had absolutely no choices. You were basically chattel. You were property. You weren't seen as a person. You never experienced, except for maybe with your sisters when you were very little, um, any type of human affection or anything like that until your children came along. And then I know that you were engulfed in a sense of love that you know, mothers feel that um, it is, it becomes your reason for being. So now you're out on your own. Let's go way forward. We, I, I could talk to you for hours upon hours about this because the story is just, if you read the book, I'm telling you, you can't put it down. It's, it's, it, it's so, it's almost like a movie. Um, and it's so scary, but it's also so compelling in a good way, seeing and knowing that at the end, you really did get away. You really did survive. You and your children. Where are you now in in terms of your life? Tell us the progress. Tell us how you are succeeding right now, Mia. Uh, well, one of the accomplishment I really have as where I am right now. It's like the best thing in my life is. I have six great kids. They're amazing. I have three boys and three girls. My oldest son is a sheriff. Uh, I have two Marines, a social worker, and uh, one of my daughters went back to college. She wants to take business classes. And my youngest one just turned 15. That's definitely a great place where I am today. From day one till now, uh, taking the first step to leave him, that's one of the things that really got me where I am today. With me and my family, uh, I have an amazing job. I, I bought my own home. I bought my own dream car. I'm trying to finish my school, uh, school craft uh, for criminal justice. Uh, I do work uh, like for a family fund for helping out shelters and police stations and donations. I'm a VP uh, for a commercial operation also for the, with the same uh, people that I work with. And uh, I can't wait till I see what the future got. I never thought I would be where I am today, but I have amazing kids and amazing uh, family. And what got me here also is looking at my kids' faces like I can never give up. I want more and I know me and them, we deserve more. And it's just, it's not easy to get to where I am today. It was absolutely torture every single day. And it did leave effect on me. It's just what happened to me before is really kind of left mark on me forever and on my kids Mm -hmm. but it really shaped me to be where I am today I can understand other women when they're in my situation when I speak to them it comes from my heart because I know how it feels but I'm in a great place right now and I can't wait till I see what the future got the the only saving grace about this all happening to you at such a young age you were a child bride that was uh, basically arranged to marry a much older man, um, someone in a loveless and very cruel marriage and dangerous marriage for, for those years. The, the only saving grace is the fact that you are so young now, but you have these six beautiful children, grown up, successful, yeah. and you yourself, 
vice president and doing volunteer work as well, getting your degree for criminal justice with your own beautiful condo. And yet you're still so young. You have so much life ahead of you. Mia, you are truly an amazing woman. And I hope the whole world, the whole world hears your story, the whole country, the whole world. This is a domestic violence awareness month, the month of October. And Mia O'Day, which is spelled, by the way, O-D-E-H, O-D-E-H, Mia is M-I-A, O-D-E-H, Mia O'Day, and her incredible book, Mia's Odyssey. You must get your hands on it. It is so compelling, but it's a real story. It's a true story, and it has, indeed, a happy ending. And I just wish you upon every every amazing thing you could ever want or ask for in this life, you are going to help so many women because of what you've been through. And if there's any saving grace to have been through such a terrible time is that you are going to be helping so many, so many people. And so I thank you for your courage. You are an example in life uh, to all of us, men, women, and children of what it means to truly survive and not only survive, but to thrive. Mia O'Day, thank you. And God bless you and on your beautiful journey. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. (laughs) Please get her book wherever fine books are sold. Mia's Odyssey, Taking Back My Soul. When we come back, more from The Way Home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I don't really know a single adult. I'm actually trying to think as I'm, I'm talking now on the air. If I know a single adult that doesn't have an issue with sleeping, sleeping well, sleeping all through the night. Um, in fact, I know some people who have insomnia so bad, it, it really ruins their quality of life. And that's because during the day, uh, they can't function the way they want to. It's really so prevalent. And I'm so grateful to know that There are some studies, there's some surveys, and there are some doctors out there, people who are really trying to figure this out for people because it's a huge problem. It's a big business for sleep aids and mattress companies and the like. Let's talk to Dr. Charlene Gamaldo. She is the professor of neurology at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome to The Way Home. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Laura. I, you know, I myself, I'm going to admit uh, live on the air, I take a little... A swig of Zequil every single night before I go to bed. And I've been doing it for like seven years because if I don't, I will inevitably wake up at 2 a.m. and will be awake for between one and a half hours to two hours. My friends that don't take anything, they are awake for two hours in the middle of the night. I don't know if it's an age related problem. I don't know if it's psychological. And I, and I have, like I said, friends who literally don't sleep at all. They sleep maybe two hours a night and it's really scary. And so please tell us where you are. I know there was this, this survey taken. Um, and I'm sure you have a lot of data and information to share with us. Absolutely. So first I'll start, Laura, with, um, you know, you're not alone, um, nor are your friends. Uh, We know that 25 million uh, Americans suffer with um, insomnia, and that's um, a lower number than those who actually have insomnia symptoms. And that's the just, you know, every now and again, uh, a problem with getting good quality sleep. And where I want to start before I even jump into the survey is what I hope the listeners can take away from this is the nuanced difference between the two. 
because insomnia and having a, a bad night every now and again is normal um, and nothing immediately to be concerned about, you know, in and of itself. When it actually rises to the level of being qualified for a medical condition, that's when um, it's something that is worth discussing with your um, healthcare provider. And what I mean is this, is that once um, the difficulty with initiating or maintaining sleep or even waking up feeling rested and restored is happening more than three times a week and is happening for over three months and is associated with, you know, crappy daytime quality, crappy daytime functioning, that's when it's risen to the level of being a medical condition that we recognize in sleep as insomnia that needs to be treated. So um, that's one of the nuances that I, I hope that the listeners can take from this. And then, you know, what the Wake Up America survey helped us to, as part of the Sleep Alliance, was to get a better appreciation for the the um, the woes and some of the um, Im- impact that insomnia is having on our sufferers. But also, what's the impact in the barriers that some of our healthcare providers, who are often the first in the first line for dealing with um, folks in the general population with sleep complaints, what are some of their barriers to providing that care? And so that's what um, this survey helped us to do. It was one of the, the largest to look at this specific population and looking at this specific question. So we looked at a thousand um, uh, sufferers or a thousand American adults. And then we also uh, surveyed general practitioners and psychiatrists. So what I would say the take home from me, even after working for 20 plus years in the sleep field was I gained a greater appreciation of the gravity of the impact that insomnia is having when it reaches a medical condition on our sufferers. So what did the, some of the thousand people have in common with one another that, um, made them in this very, this group in particular that w- raised it to a medical condition. What was it going on in their lives or they were doing or not doing maybe that contributed to the insomnia? Yeah. So um, some of the things that they have um, in common and, you know, I'm going to give you the numbers that stuck out to me. And of course, you know, greater detail can be found, you know, online at wake up, uh, americasurvey.com. But these are some numbers that really popped out. That, um, first of all, folks, um, who suffer with insomnia, 70% of them said that they were desperate, um, for more education, desperate to have, um, answers to improve their sleep. And they were, they're so desperate that as many as, um, 50% said that they linked happiness, their degree of happiness to their overall sleep experience. They put their money where their mouth is and that, you know, they're so desperate. They're, they're um, spending about $7.1 billion on sleep products, which amounts to about $325 per individual. So, you know, that really struck out to me. And then, you know, finally from the, the um, granularity of this of the impact 
you know, there were 19% who said that their sleep problems was the reason that they uh, ended a significant relationship. And that almost a third said that their sleep difficulties were contributing to um, the financial struggles. So that as a sleep provider really opened my eyes to the degree that it's impacting folks' daytime functioning. So doctor, some of the the sleep products that are out there um, that are probably more mainstream people have heard of melatonin. Like I said, I take a cap full of Zequil, um, which is basically Benadryl um, and other people take that um, Ambien, things like that. Uh, are, is there help for these people that are chronically not being able to sleep? Because I, this one woman that I know who's in her 80s, she said she's never slept her whole life and nothing works. Literally nothing works for her. She's tried all of them and tried sleep studies and tried everything and nothing works. So what causes this type of thing? Do, is it psychological? Is it physical? Great question. And that's what is... Um, so amazing about insomnia is that it's all the above and um, the degree to which it's impacting um, that particular sufferer can be variable, but from one person to the other. So we know that um, there's a genetic component to um, having insomnia. There's also an environmental component. Um, There is also what's going on in your life from a from in terms of stress, medical conditions, your overall health can impact your sleep quality, and the list goes on and on. So what the long and the short is, this is where when we talk about personalized medicine and precision medicine, that um, insomnia is literally the poster child for that. So it really takes sitting down with the individual and peeling this onion to um, think about what to t- try to identify what those contributors are, because that's the first step in figuring out what's the best approach for that particular individual. Mm-hmm. And would you say from the, your survey, all your findings, all your years of specializing in, in sleep, uh, is there hope for people who are chronically, you know, not sleeping at night? And is there hope for them so that their days can be more productive and feel better and happier? Um, you know, de- you know, as a sleep um, expert, absolutely, there's help. Um, and we know that uh, the first step is to recognize that it's a medical condition and to recognize that it raises the level to even talk to a medical pro- provider, because we know that that's already right there is not is is still not happening. So that's the first step. The next step is that once you we do get folks that awareness, we get you know them within the field of sleep and and healthcare providers that we need to exhaust all the options that I talked about um, in terms of uh, tackling this from the many uh, men, many areas. But also we recognize that. There's more to be done, more work to be done. <laughs> um, there, there's always ways that we can um, improve people's sleep and the methods to which we do it can be improved. But the only way we can um, really do that is with an, a collective effort, you know, a collective effort of patients um, recognizing that this is a problem um, that needs to be addressed so that they can c- come to to our attention and that um, we also educate 
our general practitioners who are, who are not necessarily sleep experts because they're often the first line to treating mm-hmm. these patients. So um, we, there are, I, we think that there are many undertreated patients because they're not aware of this. But in addition to that, we know there's more, more work to be done in terms of treatment options and approaches. What's a good website, doctor, for people to go to for more information? Absolutely. So um, we have uh, provided for the public information about the Wake Up America survey, and they can find it simply at wakeupamericasurvey.com. And it provides data about the survey, which, which we think is very helpful for folks to not only recognize that they may fulfill the criteria for insomnia, but that they're not alone. And that also it can provide some education um, because we recognize that there were some myths out there that people had regarding their sleep. But also it's a, a chance for um, the public to be aware of the alliance and, and our mission and what we're hoping to achieve to close this gap. Wonderful. WakeUpAmericaSurvey.com. WakeUpAmericaSurvey.com is the website. Thank you so much to Dr. Charlene Camaldo, a board-certified sleep specialist, also has a board certification in neurology. Thanks for joining us on The Way Home. We appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. Well, I don't know if you have any friends like I do who have actually done very well of making uh, a business for themselves selling on Amazon. They're in good company because about 2 million other sellers have done the same thing. So, Amazon has just had their third annual Amazon Accelerate Conference, and it's giving all sorts of tools and and different ways for people to jump into the action and sell better and faster, quicker, make more money. It's all the good stuff. Claire O'Donnell is here. She's the Director of Selling Partner Communities, Empowerment, and Trust. Tell us a little bit about the uh, conference and what it was that you brought to the force so that everybody could learn something and take away. Yeah, so Amazon Accelerate is the Master 10 seller conference. It's the only one that is powered by Amazon. This year was our third conference and our first one that was in person. And it was so fun to have thousands of our sellers here with us in Seattle and to get to connect with them in real life. I bet that was great after uh, two years of a hiatus of not being in person. Uh, so what are some of the areas that we're focused on and, and some of maybe the new modalities of that you could bring to sellers so that they can improve their and up their game? Yeah, great question. Well, one of the things you said, Laura, was that you have some friends who are sellers and small businesses. And, and I love that. And that they're sometimes looking for some inspiration. So one of the things that we talked about was our This is Small Business podcast, which is a lot of inspiration and practical real-life tips on on how to build a small business. So I I hope uh, you and your friends will give that one a listen. And then if you're already at the point where you're beyond aspiring and, and you're actually selling on Amazon, we announced a couple of tools and features that will really make it easier to accelerate your selling journey. Uh, I think a big one that I heard a lot of sellers were excited about was Buy With Prime. 
So Buy With Prime enables customers to shop from your own website and have all the benefits of Prime, free, fast shipping, convenience, which is obviously a win for those customers but also a win for those small businesses because they don't need to, to deal with the hassle of the, the fulfillment. Um, they can leave all that to us and they know we're pretty good at it. I think that's incredible. And that really does take a lot of, for, for some of the people that they're not experts in say uh, e-business. And so this gives them an opportunity to kind of leave it to the experts, Amazon, so to speak, and to focus on just creating uh, more around the actual products they're trying to sell and such. So that's a big deal. Uh, what else would you recommend that uh, that you put out there this year at the conference? Yeah, the the other one that I, I think touches on, on some of what you just mentioned as well was we announced uh, Vico, V-E-E-Q-O. So Vico is this free shipping software for sellers that enables them to find the the cheapest shipping rates across a number of providers and then actually makes managing those logistics a lot more hassle-free for them. Oh, that's incredible. So it sounds to me like, and excuse the really terrible pun, but it's one-stop shopping for a small business owner who wants to sell um, through Amazon, but uh, keep all their own proprietary information there, and but really have the benefit of the platform, the enormity of what Amazon brings to the marketplace. I find it absolutely fascinating. Tell me the name of the podcast one more time, Claire. This is Small Business. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. This is small business. Sounds fabulous and a great way for people to continue to grow and learn in their small businesses online. Thank you so much. What's a great website also where people can find out all about the conference? Anything about the conference will be on AmazonAccelerate.com. And and then for all of the aspiring or actual entrepreneurs out there, I encourage them to follow our social handle at Sell on Amazon. and, And they'll always know the latest of what we're doing for them. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Claire O'Donnell, Director of Selling Partner Communities, Empowerment and Trust for Amazon. We appreciate you being on The Way Home. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. My guest is Samantha Crow. She's the Manager of Science Education for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, also known as PETA, and for a really incredible topic. I remember growing up and having to dissect frogs in class, in science class, and absolutely abhorring it and and not wanting to be there. But I think there are people that are in my camp as well, many of them, in fact, so much so that there are new ways to discover science and do dissections, but digitally now, so that all these millions of animals don't have to be hurt. Thank you so much for letting us know all about the new, the new methods for uh, dissection for science, Samantha. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, please tell us about the new methodology. I It's so unreal to me that there are so millions of real animals still going into classrooms for dissection when indeed they don't even use them to become medical doctors anymore. It is very shocking. Um, You know, so non-animal methods include interactive digital dissection software programs, which are aligned with the science standards. Um, Also dissectable synthetic models like SynFrog, which is a synthetic frog. 
um, simulated experiments, and much, much more. Studies actually show that students who use humane dissection, you know, non-animal methods, outperform their peers who dissected animals. It makes so much sense. And this is what where the generation is anyway. They're all online. They're all on digital platforms. And I can't imagine that they would still do something so inhumane as that. But I'm so happy to hear. When are we going to see an end to the practice of using real animals in science dissection and be fully digital? Well, I'll tell you, I will be the happiest unemployed person on the planet. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but, you know, I, I, that is exactly our goal. You know, our goal is to open the eyes of educators, you know, talk to administration, support parents and students, you know, on, on their journey to, you know, having, you know, their like opting out of animal dissection, you know, helping teachers, uh, you know, learn about all the methods that are available, like the ones I just mentioned, the software and synthetic, you know, frog, dissectable frog models and, you know, things like that, just, you know, sort of sharing all of this information with them. And that is what we're here to do. We're here to support students and parents, support teachers, and also, you know, work with administration. Samantha Crow, we're so grateful for all the work that you and PETA does to make the world a more humane place. Thank you for joining me on the way home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, after hearing Mia's odyssey um, from her situation of domestic violence all the way through to where she is now living an incredibly beautiful life and that of her six children as well, we can just say hurrah and thank you uh, to God and everyone who helped her along the way. These are stories of inspiration and it does have a happy ending for Mia. And so we always like to end our programming with happiness and happy stories. And so for that, we turn to Jim Cleefield, Jimmy Dean, known as the guru of good news. Hi, Jim. What do you have for us today that you found out in uh, the interweb well, this week? Yes, I'm glad you used the word inspiration because there is something inspirational this for a story. I don't know if you had this on your good news, but... You know, as kids, we used to have piggy banks, at least I did, um, to save money for something you want to buy down the road. Well, there's this particular kid in Indiana who had a piggy bank, and he was saving some money for what it is we don't know. One day he was thinking about, and this just came to his mind, we've been hearing about the whole situation with Hurricane Ian down in Fort Myers, Florida, and all the devastation there. Well, he decided to do something with his piggy bank. He ran outside one day and told his mom, Mommy, this money, I don't need this. I want us to give it to the people that really need it the most. He was thinking about what was going on in Florida. Now, he doesn't know what a hurricane is. He was actually asking his mom one day and why she was upset. Well, anyway, when he went and did this, she went and videoed all of this and put this on her social media. And guess what? This whole thing went viral, all of her social media. And she was so inspired, his mom, that she decided to do something even more than that. Not only is he using the money to donate to these victims, but she decided to load up a U-Haul. And she herself will be driving down to Fort Myers with all kinds of supplies to help these people. She was inspired by her young son, seven years old, who had the presence of mind. I mean, just without really knowing what a hurricane is, he was keenly aware that there was some bad going on down in Florida and decided to do something about it. And it's just really wonderful. So now this goes even further. Not only does this go viral. Uh, anybody can make a donation to help her with this cause. Uh, her name is Jacqueline, Jacqueline DeAndrea, and uh, she has a Venmo account. If anybody uh, listening would like to make a donation, they can make it at any amount. I want to give that link to you. It's at Jacqueline 
dash deandrea dash 17. That's capital J Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N dash capital D capital A A-N-D-R-E-E dash 17. You can send any amount you want and uh, to help her out. I think this is a really wonderful thing that this seven-year-old kid did. The fact he wanted to do that with his piggy bank, bless him. Out of the mouth of babes and their piggy banks, that too. Yes. Yes. Children are amazing. And and truly, they have such pure hearts. That's that's how they think, you know. So a wonderful, wonderful story. What else do you have for us today? Well, I'm going to take you to Liverpool, New York. And uh, there was a, a cross-country runner who was in a race and did something really, really wonderful. Uh, this was happening uh, recently. Cooper Kohansky. Uh, was finishing his cross-country race when he noticed at the finish line after he ran his race that there was a, a young runner from one of the rival schools from Baldwinsville. And he noticed like he was just really wiped out. He was in tears. This was actually his first cross-country race. It was Andrew Hawkinson. And he decided to go up and kind of help the runner to see just to see how he was feeling. This is like this goes beyond sportsmanship. Let's say when somebody just crosses the finish line, I said, are you OK? And Andrew was saying, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I just, I'm really out of breath. This is my first race. And uh, he was doing a ride, and they ended up doing a fist bump. Well, it's amazing because Cooper's mom was watching all this. She said, wow, the fact my son uh, went and did this, I mean, uh, to help another runner from a rival school, I mean, that rarely, if ever, happens. Just this wonderful display of sportsmanship and humanity. And she was so surprised to see it in such a good way that uh, that a runner from another school is being comforted by her son. I mean, I, I was a track man for many years at the prep school and collegiate level, and I can't remember anything like this happening. So uh, it's just it's just really nice to see that this just goes beyond, hey, congratulations, you had a great race, just to see if everybody's okay. That's the humanity side of things that's wonderful and how old were they um it must have been high school i guess it was a high school track mate didn't say specifically how old they were but just that's a really wonderful what he did i love that absolutely love it so yeah kids small and kids big doing beautiful things to keep this world a happy healthy place thank you so much jimmy dean for the great news and the good stories and bob for all your production wizardry today (laughs) really appreciate it always Thank you so much. And uh, for everyone listening, have a wonderful week. Stay safe. Be kind to one another. And lots of love to you from the way home. I'm Laura Smith.